begin this morning with a true story by Rabbi Shmuel Block. It's a story that tells us the power of words. And in this true story, he tells of two girls on a bus, and they began talking to one another, and they were talking about Sarah, their mutual friend. And one girl said to the other, did you hear that Sarah got engaged yesterday? The other replied, no, I never knew that. That's amazing that Sarah got engaged. But she's so sloppy and unorganized. How is she going to run a household? The other said, well, she's never on time, if you remember. Also remember, she cooked for us once, and her food was terrible. Her new husband is going to starve. The other mentioned that Sarah spends money faster than she receives it. How will she get through the month? So it went on and on. They were oblivious to an older lady sitting behind them who suddenly interrupted them and spoke up. Excuse me, ladies, this older woman said. I'm sorry to interrupt your conversation, but I wanted to introduce myself. My son just got engaged to Sarah. Now that I know this information, I need to hurry and tell my son everything that you said about Sarah, and he must break off the engagement immediately. I also will be sure to tell all my friends how grateful I am to you girls for letting me know what Sarah is really like. The girls were shocked. They started to stutter and struggled to find the right words. No, no, they said with trepidation. Please, don't let your son break the engagement. Sarah is really wonderful. She'll make a great mother. She really will. You know, she's so warm and friendly and caring. You know, we don't mind us. We were just talking. We never meant her any harm. Please don't break the engagement, they pleaded with her. But the woman was adamant. Thank you. But based on what you said, I believe in honesty. I need to make every effort to break my son and Sarah up as soon as possible because the girl you described sounds like a terrible person. I need to inform my son immediately. The girls were horrified and crushed. After a short silence, the lady talked to the two girls again and said, Oh, by the way, I'm actually not the boy's mother, but imagine if I was. Do you know the damage you could have caused this couple? You almost destroyed a potential family just because you had nothing else to talk about. And she sternly admonished them. Words either build or destroy. Use them wisely. And then she got off the bus. This story should terrify us. The reason for this is because it is so easy to talk all the time without any concern for the consequences. However, unwittingly or unknowingly, we could say things or write things that have far-reaching impact that would tangibly cause distress and pain to others. There are power. There is power in words. And there is power in the tongue from which our words come. It is an issue in our community. It is an issue in our churches today. But it has been an issue for centuries since the very formation of the early church. In fact, it was such a big issue that James dedicates an entire section in his letter 
to talk about the danger of your words and the need to control your tongue so that your action through your mouth can show your genuine faith in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of James, chapter 3, as we continue our study in this book in our series entitled, Louder Than Words. What actions need to evidence our genuine faith in Jesus Christ? James chapter 3, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 to 12 as we talk about a subject I'm sure you know well, controlling your tongue and the words that come out of your mouth, but it serves as a great reminder for all of us, including me. Verse 1 and 2 reads this, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. James begins with a warning that those who are teachers and leaders will be judged more severely because they are to serve as an example to others because they know more lest we think that this admonition does not refer to us, remember that there is a wider implication. And that wider implication is that we as followers of Jesus Christ are teachers, all of us. We are to teach the world of the truth of the gospel message to a world that doesn't know Him through what we say and how we act. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ, especially those who know the Scriptures, have been taught the Scriptures, will be held to a higher standard because we know what we are taught and we are to know that we are called to serve as ambassadors and examples to an unbelieving world. James notes that in verse 2 that we all mess up, but there is an area in our life that we often mess up in, and that is in the area of controlling our tongue what we say. If someone is able to control their tongue, then he or she has mastered the art of maintaining self-discipline and righteous living. But he says no one has. The only one that has is Jesus, and we're not Him. Because the tongue is one of the hardest, if not the hardest part of the body to control and discipline. And the tongue serves as a wonderful gauge of our spiritual lives And how we have self-disciplined ourselves in the things of Christ. So what comes out of our mouth and what we say and how we say it serves as a gauge for our spiritual lives. James will go on and discuss three things about the tongue that we need to be aware of. Look with me, the first one in verse 3 to 5. He writes... Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles." Here James uses three illustrations to speak about the tongue being very small but very powerful. The first illustration is of a powerful horse that is controlled by a small bit and bridle that is put in his mouth. And any of you who have ever ridden a horse knows you can easily move a horse to the left or to the right simply by moving its head controlled by the bit. 
The second illustration is of a large ship, and even pushed by the fiercest of winds, the strongest of winds, and yet a very small rudder used by the ship's pilot is what controls where the large ship goes. The third illustration in verse 5 speaks of how a little spark left unattended can cause a raging forest fire. Likewise, the mouth is similar as it relates to the body so small and yet so able to control the entire person. There is power in words. We know about the power of the written word, but the power of the spoken word is just as powerful, if not more. You can see the positive power of words in just three words. When you tell someone, I love you, think about the power of those three words. When a husband says it sincerely to his wife. The power of the words, I love you, when a parent disciplines their child and tells that child, I love you. When friends tell each other those words, I love you, there is power in that. But you can also see the negative power of words in three words. When someone would say, whether flippantly or just off the cuff or in disgust, I hate you. And those words sting like any bullet. And they hurt deeply. I hate you. The negative power of words. Look what the writer of Proverbs writes in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 to 21. He notes this. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Imagine that. The power of life and death is in your tongue. What you say to a friend, to a spouse, to a stranger, to a child has the power to give life or the power to destroy it, to hurt someone deeply, or to encourage them for a lifetime. Words are either life-giving, or they can suck the life out of anyone. If you tell a child, you're so dumb, you're worthless, you're such a bad boy, you're such a bad girl, you may think that it's said only in the heat of anger, But those words may impact them for the rest of their life. Ask any psychologist, ask any psychiatrist, ask any pastor who does counseling. I've had men and women come in my office who are in their late 40s or 50s and still remember words like that that their parents used when they were five and six years old. That's the impact of words. And yet positively, I've had men and women who have told me whether they're 60 or 70, how they love their parents because they remember what their parents told them. And one in particular told me that a parent told them when she was seven, you will always have my love and support. Words will impact lives for the rest of their lives. You see, what I want you to understand, number one, if you're taking notes, is this. The tongue is small but it is powerful. The tongue is small, but it is powerful. It makes an impact whether you realize it or not. 
This week I came across a poem. It's entitled, Only a Word. And here's how the poem reads, Only a Word. Only a word of anger, but it wounded one sensitive heart. Only a word of sharp reproach, but it made the teardrops start. Only a hasty, thoughtless word, sarcastic and unkind, but it darkened the day before so bright, it left a sting behind. But only a word of kindness, and it lightened one's heart of its grief. Only a word of sympathy, and it brought one's soul relief. Only a word of gentle cheer, but it flooded with radiant light, the pathway that seemed so dark before, and it made the day more bright. The power of words. The second principle is found in verses 6 to 8. Look with me as I read verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Here, we're going to see that James uses two illustrations to describe another aspect of the tongue. And here in this first illustration, he describes the tongue as a fire that affects every aspect of the entire body. It is not a good type of fire. It is a fire, note this, that comes from the pit of hell, verse 6. Now that's a pretty strong statement, alluding to the fact that the uncontrolled tongue is highly problematic. It's a source of evil, a source of perversion. What an indictment of the tongue. The Bible says in verse 6, it defiles the entire person. It affects us completely because the tongue can commit the entire body, to something that it may not be ready for. You know, words are so easy to say. The tongue can say, my tongue can say, I'm going to diet and lose 50 pounds in three months, but the body is not committed to it. Certainly not ready for it. But it's so easy to say these things. So easy to commit to something that you have no intention of carrying out. And if you don't agree with me, and you think that you have great control of your tongue. Think about the words that come out so easily from your mouth, from which you don't even give a second thought. How many lies or half-truths, which are actually lies, do you tell yourself? Do you tell your family? Do you tell your colleagues? Do you tell your community? Do you tell your God without batting a second eye? How many of you say, Lord, I'll never do it again. Just forgive me this once. You tell a friend, I promise to always be with you. I promise to be faithful. Promise them to look at another woman or another man in a different way because I'm married to you. Words are so easy to say, but they commit the body to something often they're not ready for. How easily do we spread rumors and gossip Speaking before we make sure that we find out the facts. Fact-finding is for someone else to filter out. I'm used to disseminate the information, we think. You see, for James to indict the tongue as a source of evil and sin is not far-fetched. 
This week I looked at the use of the tongue throughout the scripture. You know, the scripture is replete with verses that talk about the use of the tongue. Many of them, how the tongue is used wrongly. I'm just going to give you a list, not an exhaustive list, but here are the ways tongues can be used wrongly. In flattery, Proverbs chapter 20, chapter 26 tells us, oh, we're good at flattering people, especially in our Asian culture. You know another word for flattery? Lies. That's what they are. Boasting, the Bible tells us, is wrong. And yet the tongue is great at boasting. And you put boasting and flattery together, oh my goodness, that's a problem. Proverbs 18, verse 6 talks about quarreling, conflicts, anger. How many times has a simple incident exploded because you just had to say your piece? How many times has an argument begun to settle down, but you have to get in that last word, and boom, it explodes. And the next thing you know, you're not talking to your family member. And the next thing you know, you're not friends with that person you grew up with anymore. Just one word, one statement. Proverbs 16, verse 27. Proverbs 10, verse 18 talks about gossip. Oh, that's something we love to do. And we don't worry about gossip. But we're just ready to spread the things we think we know is right without getting the facts. And yet here's the danger of it. Once you spread it, once you say it, you can't take it back. And why do we gossip? I think a lot of times we gossip because things are said about us. And so to retaliate, to counteract the gossip said about us, we gossip about someone else. I like what someone once said. When men speak ill of you, quietly live so that nobody would believe them. It's a great way to respond if someone is gossiping about you. When men speak ill of you, live so that nobody will believe them. You don't have to play their game. Just live your life faithfully so that what they say about you, no one will believe. And yet, and yet, we don't do that. We love to spread not the good news about others, the bad news about them. Lying. Proverbs 14. Matthew 5.37. Let your yes be yes and your no's be no's. And yet in our Asian culture, we're so nuanced in how we speak and we beat around the bush and we try to be nice so not to offend anyone. And when we try to do that, we lie and we get ourselves in trouble. Can you help? Someone asks. If you can't, the answer is no. If you can, the answer is yes. The answer is, well, let me see. Because you have no intentions of seeing. It's really a no. But see all the problems that are caused when you nuance things and you lie. And the person who thinks you actually may be considering helping them is relying on you and you feel guilty because you really don't want to. 
If you can't, you can't. I once heard a story about a woman who was hosting guests for dinner. She decided to serve chicken. She told the butcher she'd like to buy chicken. She went to her local butcher. The butcher opened his freezer case and saw that he only had one chicken left. He took the chicken out of the freezer and put it on the scale. And he said, two pounds. The chicken weighs two pounds. The lady responded, oh, I think we're going to need a bigger one. The butcher, not wanting to lose that sale, took the chicken off the scale, put it back in the freezer, and pulled out the same chicken, his last chicken. And he put it back on the scale, only which he could see, and he said, three pounds. The woman said, great, I'll take both chicken. You see, it's so easy with one word to think that we can manipulate the situation. But the Bible is so clear, lying gets us into trouble. We can go on and on. Proverbs 22, 14 talks about how our tongue drags people, other people to sin. How many times do we sweet talk others? Come on, do it with me, it's okay. Sin with me. Proverbs 10, 19 talks about talking too much as a sin. Matthew 5, 44 talks about attacking others, impugning things on people. Just because you have a bias and a general dislike for them, you don't even know them, you just don't like them. You have a bias against them. So you begin to impugn and attack them even though they have not done anything to you. Later on, we're going to talk about James chapter 5, cursing the using of God's name in vain in inappropriate ways. Oh, if you look to the Old Testament, you know that grumbling and criticizing is an issue. It caused an entire generation of Israel to die in the wilderness. And if you remember the series we preached, From Grumbling to Gratitude, an entire sermon series about the destructive results of complaining. And yet, complaining and criticism just simply rolls out of our mouth. No wonder James tells us the tongue is a world of iniquity. Look what else he writes in verses 7 to 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Here in the second illustration, in the second section, James notes that mankind has tamed and subdued almost every type of animal. Mankind can make dolphins jump out of water and jump through hoops. Mankind has trained dogs to shake hands, parrots to sing, but... Men and women have yet to be able to tame the tongue. Apart from the control of the Holy Spirit, the tongue is almost uncontrollable. You don't believe me? Let me give you an example. If after this service this morning, I took one of you aside, and in the privacy of that hallway, I told you, I've got a juicy piece of information about myself. I've got something I need to tell you, and I can't tell anyone else. And if I tell you, you have to promise before I tell you that you won't tell anyone else. And I'm telling you because I need you to help me. Now, if I propose that to you, how many of you are thinking, tell me first, 
And whatever you tell me, I'm going to see in my mind if I can really withhold from telling others. Or how many of you would do the second option? No, no, Pastor Steve, don't tell me because I can't control my tongue. Have you ever told anyone, no, no, please don't tell me, I don't think I can hold my tongue? I venture to guess almost none of you have ever told someone who's going to tell you a secret that only you need to know that you will not share it with anyone. No, tell me. I promise I won't tell anyone. Are you sure? Absolutely. It's between you and me. And so let's say I believe you, for example. Although the latter is what we should do and say, don't tell me because I can't control my tongue. We do the first one. So let me tell you, for example only, I need to repeat, it's an example. If I told you I'm sorry, but I need to let you know I have another family. I'm sorry to let you down, but I have another family. I bet you when you hear that, you're thinking in your mind, who can I tell? You're thinking in your mind, oh my goodness, I don't think I can hold this in. And the next time you meet someone and you hear that person tell you, you know what, Pastor Steve was a great guy, you want to say, well, you know, I think I need to tell you something. But don't tell anyone else. You understand what I'm talking about. It is uncontrollable. And by the way, I should say again, it is an example. <laughs> because some of you didn't hear it the first time and you'll run out of this sanctuary thinking that I have another family. I don't. But if I did, boy, that's juicy information. You may even have good intentions of not telling, but now you begin to understand why the tongue is uncontrollable. You see, what I need you to understand, number two, is this. The tongue is a source of evil and often uncontrollable. Just putting it together, number two. The tongue is a source of evil and often uncontrollable. So if it is a source of evil and it is hard to control, then you and I need to place focus and ask God for His help. How many of you every day pray that God would give you the words to say, Heavenly Father, as I begin my day today, may the words that come out of my mouth be words of blessing. Ever pray that? Ever pray, Lord, in the morning as I begin this day, may I say what needs to be said and not say what doesn't need to be said. Help me, Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit to control what I say. Even though my employee makes me mad. Even though my spouse drives me up the wall. Even though my kids don't listen to me. Give me the grace, Lord, so that my words are words of blessings. Help me to control my tongue. If it is that uncontrollable and it is the source of evil and sin in many cases, then we should pay special attention and ask for God's help in this area. The third principle is found in verses 9 to 12. Look with me. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. 
Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Here in verses 9 to 12, James is speaking about the inconsistency and the hypocrisy of many of our words that come from our tongue. Because with the same mouth we sing blessings and praise to God, and with the same mouth we curse others. And for James, this inconsistency, this hypocrisy should not be normal. In fact, he uses, again, two illustrations. The first is of a natural spring water. A water spring either has fresh water or salt water. It cannot have both. Even if you think nature can produce a spring that from it flows both fresh and salt water, the water will mix and it will become salty. It is an impossibility. That's James's point. The second illustration is in fruit trees. A fig tree cannot bear olives even if it wanted to. It can only produce figs. A grapevine cannot bear figs if it wanted to. It can only produce grapes. It is an impossibility. Here's James's point. The mouth of the believer simply cannot have words of blessings and words of cursing out of the same source. And if you look at, back at verse 9, it's not even talking about blessing others. It's talking about the blessing of God through worship. Now, we can do it. We do it all the day. We praise God and then we curse others. But the emphasis is that it should not be so. It would be highly hypocritical. Because the evidence of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ is a mouth and a tongue whose words are consistently speaking blessings at all times and in all places. You see, the tongue of the follower of Jesus Christ must be different from the tongue of an unbeliever. It's as simple as that. And so I often get asked the question, Pastor, can a Christian curse? Of course not. That's a black and white issue. And I speak as one who used to curse like a sailor in the days I did not walk with the Lord. But the tongue of a follower of Jesus Christ must be different than the words that come out of an unbeliever's mouth. It's not the same. It cannot be. It must be an impossibility in your mind. You see, number three, write this down. The tongue is inconsistent and hypocritical. And it should not be. Our tongues are inconsistent and hypocritical, and it should not be. Then you may say, well, pastor, if I can't gossip and I can't lie, I'm just going to keep quiet for the rest of my life. Well, no. If you look through Scripture, the tongue can be used rightly for many purposes. Proverbs chapter 16 Verse 24, chapter 12, verse 25 talks about using the tongue as a vehicle for encouragement. How many of you have encouraged your family members this morning? This morning. How many of you, instead of encouragement, yelled at your kids, Why are you late again? Or actually, it should be the other way around. Parents are yelling at their parents. Wake up! We're going to be late for church! But how many of you encouraged one another and said, You know what? 
it's great that we can worship as a family together this morning. How many of you, instead of yelling at your kids, you're doing horribly in school, these grades are terrible, even though they're passing, how many of you have said, you know, I've, I know you've tried your best. I'm here to support you if you need any help. But whatever grades you get, we still love you. How many of you this morning encouraged your driver or your helper? You know what? I just want to let you know you're doing a great job. They may be shocked. My boss has never said that. Imagine yelling at them and then going to church. Of all days, even though they drive you up the wall, even though they mess up, of all days, not to speak ill of them it should be on the day you go worship. And yet we don't think about that. The tongue can be used to encourage. The tongue can be used, Proverbs 10:21, to witness about God. You can speak about the goodness and the greatness of God to your colleagues, to your friends. You can talk about sports. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about politics. And for sure, if you can talk about those three, you can talk about God. But do you? Do you? Uh, Lest you think that the tongue can only be used to say nice things. No. Proverbs 27, verse 6. It can also be used for correction and rebuke. If you want to correct someone, rebuke them, do so in love. But that's also using the tongue for its right purpose. If someone does something wrong, tell them in love. Proverbs 10.31 talks about using the tongue for advice and wise counsel. Do you live a life of such spirituality and intimacy with God that people will come and ask you for help, and you give them wise spiritual counsel. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 talks about using the tongue to edify others. Edification is like encouragement, but to encourage them to the point of motivating them to become better people. Are we edifying one another? Are we encouraging men and women who are serving in this church so that they can improve Here in this chapter, talks about using our tongue to praise and pray and to sing to God in worship. So look at the way you use your tongue. In any given day, do words of blessing come out of your mouth? Or do words of complaint and cursing come out? Do you use your tongue rightly or wrongly? And I don't speak from an ivory pulpit. I struggle with this every day. But God has been teaching me as well. Last weekend, Cindy and I were at a wedding reception. And of course, she looked stunning in a dress that she was wearing for the first time. Well, at the dinner reception, uh, as the waiter served the first dish, which was uh, a dish of cold cuts, uh, as you know, in a typical Chinese dinner, the cold cut comes with uh, a lot of different sauces. Well, as the waiter served that first dish into our table, the accompanying soy hoisin sauce uh, spilled down the back of her dress. 
when I put my hand around her, I, I noticed that something was sticky, and I realized what had happened. All that black hoisin sauce running down the back of her dress, her gray dress. Well, I cleaned it up the best I could, uh, and uh, the waiter was horrified and kept apologizing. It was a wedding reception. It was a happy occasion. I didn't want to make a scene, but inside I was pretty upset. Uh, I had in my mind uh, to talk with the waiter and perhaps his manager after the reception. I couldn't do it then. It was a pastor's table. And I wanted to maybe encourage them to maybe get some better training, maybe try to get a free dry cleaning out of it like they do in the U.S. If I really pushed it, maybe a free hotel night, I don't know. But I had a mind to share a piece of my mind after the reception, after people had left. But of all the times, the last event of that wedding reception in the evening, the last thing that happened was that they showed the AVP, the audio-visual presentation of that early afternoon's ceremony. And there it was as they ended the wedding reception program. As part of the AVP, my big face as the pastor who officiated the wedding came on that giant LED wall. I'd planned a speech for that poor waiter, but now I knew that he knew I was the pastor. (laughs) So I can't say anything now. So after dinner, he did come again to apologize again, and I gritted my teeth and smiled. I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Cindy also said the same thing. In the car, I actually asked Cindy, why weren't you more upset? And then she told me, ah, it's just a cheap dress I bought online. It's not worth making an issue. And there it was. Is it worth saying it to make an issue or not? That incident resonated with me this week. And I thought to myself, that's what we need to ask ourselves. Is it worth saying words of blessing and encouragement as believers in Christ as we should? Or is it worth having to be right? Of having to get it off your chest only to perhaps lose your testimony? I know it's a struggle. I know if I spoke my mind, I would have felt great after that wedding reception. I may even walked away with something. And the Lord spoke to me this week as I prepared this message. And I prayed for that server, not because I'm a spiritual giant by any stretch of the imagination, but because it was so convicting. Was it worth not saying something? And I prayed that the server left that night, and if he wasn't a Christian, that evening he would know that Christians, especially pastors, are very forgiving people. It struggles. It's a struggle. And yet, that is the implication of you in your mind saying, is it worth saying something or not? I don't know. But that's for God to work His sovereign will in His life. But although 
I wasn't able to say what was on my mind to make me feel better. From that perspective, I'm glad I didn't say anything. I'm sure you know your parents' old adage, what they often tell you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Perhaps in the 21st century, we need to upgrade that. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all or don't post it on Facebook. That way you won't regret it. But does that mean we don't talk? No. I leave you this morning with five things to think about before you speak. And I got this from an article I read written by Bruce Johnson. Five questions to ask before you say anything to anyone. Because there are no do-overs in communication. Once you say it, it's hard to take it back. And he uses the acrostic think. T-H-I-N-K. Think. The first question you ask yourself before you say anything, is it true? Is it true? How do you know what you believe to be true is true? Did you personally observe it? Did you personally experience it? Or did you get the information second or third hand? You see, all of us have a perception bias. And as a pastor, having served long enough, I know that there are always two sides of the story. So think, is it true? The second, H, is it helpful? Is it helpful to call that person a name? Is it helpful to berate your child? Is it helpful that you allow one action by your friend to define his entire character? Is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? If you want to inspire or motivate someone to change, then will my words help in that process or not? It doesn't mean you can't discipline or correct them. But you speak out of the motivation of love and inspiration so that they will become better people through your words. And is it necessary? Is it necessary to get historical? Is it necessary for you to be the one who has to tell them? Is it even your responsibility? And how can we say it? You could say top. Do you have to gateway? Do you have to add words? Is it necessary? Is it even in your place to say it? K. Is it kind? I think pretty much speaks for itself. Is it kind? We need to think before we speak. And we need the Holy Spirit's help. I know you know that the tongue is hard to control. And yet what we say is one of the biggest evidence to an unbelieving world of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ. They will make an assessment about followers of Christ through what you and I say. And so we need to plead every day with the Lord for His help. That every moment of every day, that we speak the words we need to say and we shut up when we don't need to say it. And although it may not make you feel good, it is for the glory of God. 
think before you speak. And by doing so, tell the world about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a good reminder for all of us, including me. And if there are times that my mouth has gotten me in trouble, you know those times. I ask for your forgiveness. Every morning of every day that I wake up, may each person here pray the prayer in their hearts that we would be conduits of your blessings through our word. And that which needs to be said will be said with conviction and love. And the things that do not need to be said will be kept inside of us. May the fragrance of our words bring forth glory unto your name because that's what we want to do, to praise and honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.